Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast. I am Jody Grinwald. This week, my guest is Abby Daly, founder and executive director of Bridget Books Foundation. Remember the first time you held a book in your hand and the feeling you had when you were able to read it? Bridget Books Foundation has distributed roughly 1.3 million books to underserved children throughout New Jersey since 2003. Although book donations are incredibly important for this nonprofit, so is funding, as they have been working from a storage unit for years. Formerly, Abby was an attorney with the state of New Jersey, where she pursued mental health and children's rights cases. In 2015, Abby gave a TEDx Navising talk entitled, Books, Bridging the Gap. She has numerous citations over the years for her work to close the gap in access to books among children throughout New Jersey, including being named a New Jersey hero by the New Jersey Heroes Initiative. Listen in to hear more about Abby Daly and the incredible work of the Bridget Books Foundation. Please subscribe to the Today's the Day Changemakers YouTube channel, stream this podcast on all streaming sites. Reviews and shares are always welcomed and help us to be heard. Like us on Facebook and Instagram by going to Today is the Day, Live It. To learn more about Today is the Day Consulting and Coaching Services and the new Today is the Day Changemakers Connective, go to todayistheday.liveit.com. Sign up for our mailing list to be notified when new events and networking opportunities become available. Also, I am the CEO and co-founder of the Zach G. Applauder Kids Foundation. To learn more about how the organization is connecting children with a financial need to an ongoing creative outlet, go to applaudourkids.org. The views expressed by all Today's the Day Changemakers podcast guests are their own. Their appearance on the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. Have a great week, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast. I am Jody Grinwald, and as I say every single week, I get to interview the inspirers, the changemakers, and those who are disrupting the status quo in the best way possible. And today, I have Abby Daly with me. Hi, Abby. How are you? I'm good, Jody. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for asking. I'm going to read from your bio, as I always do, and then we're going to get into a, a great conversation and learn more about Bridge of Books, okay? Okay. So Abby Daly is the founder and executive director of the Bridge of Books Foundation, a volunteer-led nonprofit organization which has distributed roughly 1.3 million books. I'm going to say that again, 1.3 million books to underserved children throughout New Jersey since 2003. In 2015, Abby gave a TEDx Navisync talk entitled Books, Bridging the Gap. In addition, she has received numerous citations over the years for her work to close the gap in access to books among children throughout New Jersey, including being named, and this is so wonderful, a New Jersey hero by the New Jersey Heroes Initiative. Formerly, she was an attorney with the state of New Jersey, where she pursued mental health and children's rights cases. She's a lifelong resident of New Jersey, still living in the house where she grew up in, in Monmouth County. We were just talking about that, right, Abby? That, yes, that's so funny. And in addition to her love of all things literary, she developed a passion for bird photography uh, as a way of getting outside with her husband, Fran, during the height of the pandemic. She's a mom of two kids, Ellen and Lang, and two animals, Ruby, a rescue dog, and Bandit, a leopard gecko, left in her care when her son went off to college. Oh, how fun that must have been for you. He's he's (laughs) rather cool. I'm I'm the only other one in the house who actually likes him and will feed him. And he, he is seriously a cool little guy. What makes him cool? Now I'm curious. Um, he, you know, it's just, they're so interesting just to watch them and the way they kind of look at you. And I mean, 
it's a leopard. It's a reptile. And like, they have those cool eyes and, uh, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot, but it's, he's just interesting. It's just fun to have and to hold and kind of torture my husband and my daughter with because they don't <laughs> want to touch him. And my daughter has only recently started petting him. Well, there you go. Right. You it, go. Making, making strides. That's, yeah. that's, yes. that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, before we started the podcast, we talked about the room you're sitting in. And if you don't mind, I think because it's part of your bio, it'd be great for you to just quickly tell everybody the room you're sitting in right now. Uh, this is actually the room that this was my bedroom growing up. And when I grew up and got married and my parents had passed away and uh, we my husband and I ended up taking the house from my father and I moved down the hall and my daughter has grown up in my bedroom as a child which is, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's very sweet. And what yeah. history in that yeah. house, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Definitely. It's an old house to begin with. So it, you know, I, I feel like it's been nice. So now were you born in that house? So is that where your first home you ever were in? Uh, we actually lived across the way until I was about one. And then my parents took, bought this house and uh, I think my husband and I are maybe only either the fifth or sixth owners of it. It was built in 1908. Uh, so people have held on to it for a long time. That's, that's yeah. That, and so that just goes to show um, how long, longevity within a home and the history of homes. It, I think it's always so interesting. Yeah. And you never know if it'll go to another generation. Fingers crossed, right? Because it'll I, leave there's, always, there's always hope. Uh, there's always hope, you know, the kids went off to college and we started talking about, you know, should we be moving somewhere, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, we don't know where they're going to end up and you don't want to move somewhere just because you think you should. Uh, so, of course, what do we do? Decide to get our kitchen renovated. <laughs> Why not? It's funny. It's funny. That's what I've been hearing a lot of lately, to be honest yeah. with you. Those who are not sure if they should move or not are getting renovations done. So it's, a, you know, go either, go either way. Well, it's I figured great. after 20, it's the first time we've redone the kitchen in 22 years. And, you know, my appliances really were falling apart. So I said, I need new appliances. And then it all went from there. Of course, it's a, the trickle effect or the domino, yeah. I should say, effect. Yeah. Yes. So, Abby, tell us a little bit about how you were as a child. Were you shy, outgoing? You know, I want to learn more about where your love of books came from and if it started when you oh. were younger. Um, so I was an only child. Uh, I think my mother thought I was never going to read, although I was read to a lot as a child. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with my parents and their friends. And, uh, you know, and when I was 11 or 12, I was over in Fairhaven. And that time it was called, I don't know, the Fairhaven bookstore. And I just, they had a secondhand shelf. And I discovered gothic romances and my mother was overjoyed because then I started reading. Yeah. Before that, I hadn't really found anything that resonated with me. I mean, I have vague memories of like reading the dictionary sometimes and, but I wasn't a big reader until, you know, I hit my stride with then and with, with those romances. And that was, that was kind of it. Well, you were right at that age too, right? You said around yeah. 12. Yes. Yep. Oh, yes. <laughs> so it made perfect sense that that would be kind of what the route you would might take um, to, to read the romance novels during yes. like middle. That's like middle school. Yep. 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 
That's that's wonderful. So were you a shyer child more into the books or were you popular? How how what were your days like? Um, I think I, I was sort of more on the shy side. Um, you know, I wasn't I wouldn't say I was one of the cool kids at school. Um, I, I didn't I didn't have problems at school and I'd like I loved school. Um, but I was kind of a shyer kid. I did my own thing. I, you know, I when I hung out with my parents, I had, you know, some friends in the neighborhood. I had one good friend up the, up the street who was one of six. So I got to do a lot with her family and that was a lot of fun in the neighborhood. Um, you know, it, it, I had a great childhood and, you know, it was just, I was, I was an only child. Mm. Yeah. Well, books are a great escape, aren't they? Yes, they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were younger? Um, you know, I don't remember having any like particular longing to be any one thing or another. Uh, you know, my mother tried me in dance and a lot of little girls want to be ballerinas and I hated dance. I spent more time playing with my friend who we did it together. Um you know, I think I probably wanted to be a veterinarian at one point when my mother and I rescued a seagull from uh, the beach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I, I think I didn't really decide what I wanted to do until I got to college. And my mother, uh, you know, sort of maneuvered me into uh, applying for an internship with the prosecutor's office. And that was when I decided I wanted to go to law school. Because I went off to college and I majored, I said I was going to major in international relations. And, you know, being the self-assured, cocky kid that I was, like, I, I knew exactly what that was. And she kept saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? And, I, you know, so then I couldn't really give her a good answer. So finally, she just suggested this. And like that was kind of all she wrote. I fell in love with the law and... Uh, you know, decided to go to law school. And that was kind of, you know, the beginning of my journey as in my career. Well, it says in, in here, you were for the state of New Jersey, you were an attorney? I was. Um, when I got out of law school, I clerked uh, for a judge over in Monmouth County. And then I applied, I, I actually had two jobs with the state of New Jersey. Uh, first, I was, I worked for the public defender's office in a unit that I had never even heard of. I just sent my resume to the public defender's office and I got a call for an interview with the mental health unit, which uh, <clears throat> at, at that time, they represented children and adults who'd been involuntarily committed to psychiatric hospitals. And you know, it was a job. I didn't know anything about it. It sounded kind of cool. And, you know, I was off and running and they trained me and I used to go and work with kids and adults who'd been, you know, at Marlboro Psychiatric Hospital and Brisbane and various other hospitals around and inpatient units around New Jersey. Um, and then after a couple of years, I moved over to the attorney general's office and I represented, um, I, the division of youth, it was called the Division of Youth and Family Services at that time. It's mm -hmm. had probably four different names since then. And I did uh, abuse and neglect cases and termination of parental rights. And I did that for about five years. And then what happened? <laughs> and then I got pregnant. Yeah. Um, no, I got, I got married and you know what? I was lucky enough. Um, 
and grateful enough to be able to stay home when I was about to give birth to my daughter. And, you know, I'm still forever grateful. You know, I know that a lot of people are not in that position. Um, and I gave birth to my daughter in 2003 or 2002. And then in 2003, because I needed something to do, uh, Bridge of Books started. Before we get to Bridge of Books, I have a question for you. Sure. You know, talking about the work you were doing as an attorney, knowing, you know, and, and, and you're probably some of the kids that receive your books are dealing with some of the things that you've seen on the other side, being on yeah. the law and on the law side. What, what, how tiring and taxing and difficult had that had to be on you, I would think daily. Like, I, I just wonder the stress level when you're dealing with those types of things every day and responsible for the livelihood of these children. Um, it, it's a, it, it is exhausting. And there are some cases that, you know, it, what, it clearly was not a nine to five job. Um, you know, and I represented the agency that was making decisions about the kids. So the children had their own separate attorneys, but still working for the agency uh, when, you know, trying to represent their uh, decisions, what was stressful. And, you know, when you're talking about terminating of parental rights, um, when you're talking about removing children, when you're talking about returning children to homes who've been abused, it is stressful, but, you know, for me, it was very rewarding. Um, you know, I enjoyed it because, you know, it was, it was meaningful and, you know, you're dealing with people's lives and it's, you know, not that I, I don't have anything against contract work or liens and foreclosures, but you know, that was just not for me. And I knew that from the beginning. Um, and that's kind of, you know, part of the reason why I left the work when I gave birth to my daughter, because I could, uh, you know, it's, it was not a nine to five job. You know, I spent many weekends and I, I don't know if it's something about maybe my personality, because, you know, then of course I went and started this nonprofit that's also not a nine to five job. Um, and, yes. but it is, you know, it is what it is. It was, it was stressful, but it was, it was, it was also very rewarding, which I, you know, I think that's part of life too, sometimes. Oh, absolutely. You know, we want some, not everybody, I don't want to say everybody, meaningful work though, for a lot of people, at least the ones that I know is very, very important. Making a difference in the world is very important. And so yeah. what led you in 2003 to Bridge of Books, totally different, totally a different change there for sure. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny you say that. It was and it wasn't. Um, I, when I was still working, the, there were some women in the office and the niece of one of the women who lived in California had started the Bridge of Books. And we always used to talk about, you know, we were going to drive a yellow school bus around and scoop up all the kids and like give them books and like take them off to a farm in you know, West Virginia. And when I knew that I was going to, but that wasn't going to happen. Uh, when I knew that I was going to be able to stay home, I approached the woman in California about, you know, finding out more about Bridge of Books. And, you know, I always knew books were important. I liked books. I was going to have kids. There were lots of books in my home. Uh, yada, yada, yada. I, I knew I was going to be home. I knew that I wanted something to do that wasn't a full-time job, but something that I could do in between, you know, you know, being a mom. And I thought it would be a good fit because the 
population that I had been working with, I think I think I thought at the time it was a resource that would be a real value add uh, to the challenges that that population faces. And I very quickly discovered, you know, how much it was needed um, and how much of a real gap in access to books there are among children, you know, right in New Jersey. Absolutely. So what what were some of the steps you had to take to get this off the ground for people to hear who, who may be thinking about starting a nonprofit? Um, you know, I, I kind of lucked out because the, the framework had been started. So uh, Tricia at the time who originally originated the idea, um, she helped me incorporate it as a chapter in New Jersey. I mean, you just start calling people. You call the IRS, the Center for Nonprofits. <laughs> Um, you know, it's brutal, it's slogging, it's annoying, um, you know, but if you want to do it, you figure out how to get it done. Um, you know, she had the concept, it was a mission that appealed to me. Uh, she helped me incorporate it as a chapter. So she still had full reins initially. And I think it was maybe like year two or three that she decided to close down New Jersey, uh, close down in California. So then by that time, then I had to figure out how to reincorporate in New Jersey, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, fig- I figured it out. I had a board and, you know, we just figured it out, you know, one day at a time. And did we make mistakes? Absolutely. But, you know, you can usually, if you're humble enough, you can usually figure it out. Absolutely. You know, starting a nonprofit, and even though it was a, a different chapter, let's say, of another organization that was originally started, you know, you're the newbie in the room, whether you go to networking event or or what have you, you know, what did you do to get yourself more in, engaged in the community uh, for Bridge of Books so that, you you know, people could see that you're out there and, and understand the needs of your organization? <laughs> I think I'm still trying to figure out how to do that on some days. Um, I get it. You know, I mean, we had, it, it was just donated. It was just something that I, I was doing. I don't really know that I started it with, uh, to be honest, maybe I didn't really start it with the right framework of like building a business. It was, I started it as, you know, okay, this person gave us donated space. You know, I started making phone calls and I made some connections and then you know, you sort of figured out how to put a website up and, you know, it was just something to do. And maybe that's, you know, maybe I ended up paying the piper, paying the price for that later on. Um, You know, it was just making phone calls and just sort of thinking about the contacts that I'd had when I was working and, you know, then figuring it out from there. I had a board, I had people who liked the idea. Um, you know, we had the basics and to be honest, I really don't know. I mean, it just no. sort of happened. Well, no, I understand. You know, I'm yeah. a CEO of a nonprofit and I, yeah. my, my answer would be pretty much the same. It's like, you just, it's like, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall. And you, and you just, just do it. You just do it and you hope something sticks. Yeah. Well, that's the key. Pam 10 is a leader in IT enterprise solutions and staffing. They are driven to transform their clients' business performances. They do this every day by providing their clients with the best services and products. Products like BizLego, an online community platform, and Colier, a unique learning management system. They also transform the lives of women and children through their associated nonprofits, SheTech, 
which supports women in and joining the technology field, and Softkin, support organization for kids in need. PAM10, technology for social good. Go to pam10.com for more information. So tell everybody the mission of the organization and, um, you know, what, how, how you collect the books, but also how you distribute them. Uh, so the mission of the organization, I mean, it's to bring, it's the why of it is basically to bring the world to children through books. Um, you know, the, the mechanics of it is to create access to books for kids who need access in order to encourage uh the development of literacy skills and a love of reading. Um, you know, when I first started it, as I started to talk to people, um, you know, I didn't really know. I had no, I, I had no idea. You know, I know, I knew that I had worked with this population that was underserved, and you know, people were doing clothing drives and food drives and all that kind of stuff. And you know, then I started to slowly talk to teachers and community providers and start to really understand, you know, the major gaps that were existing. Um, and so, you know, we got the website going. I found somebody who actually I still use him to this day. Um, he, you know, gave us a good deal. We got the website going. We started to get requests coming in. And we've always, we've always started out with leveraging the community, um, both in terms of delivering books to us and then coming to pick up books. Um, you know, that was something I never got into delivering, delivering books. I mean, very little in the beginning, but once we got to a certain size, we just couldn't do that. Um, you know, and it's really, it's kind of been word of mouth. You know, I think there's probably something else I should be doing. And, you know, I still, to this day, you know, 1.3 million books later, I still meet people, you know, the first two donations that we sent out this year were uh, to teachers that we've never met before. Um, mm -hmm. And somebody had said to me once, you know, you're like this total underground nonprofit. Like you've reached so many lives, but there are still so many people who don't know about you. Um, you know, so we're figuring it out, chipping away. Absolutely. You know, when I think about things too, a lot, a lot of things right now, and probably moving forward is even going to get worse is all about electronics, right? You can read on your electronics. You can, you know, there's, there's all of this, you know, if you, if you have a phone, if you have a tablet, and your population typically you would say wouldn't be able to necessarily um, be in the space to be able to go and purchase an iPad, potentially. Not saying everybody, and in certain cases, Chromebooks are given out. But there's something about holding that book and turning those pages. Yes. In your in your opinion, seeing what you're seeing, do you feel like books are becoming less and less utilized? Or do you see do you see that they're still just as important as they were when we were kids? Um, my heart says, yes, I do think that they are still just as important. And, you know, given the, the requests that we have, I think teachers and communities see them still just as importantly. Um, I think maybe in certain se sectors where they can afford to have an iPhone with the access or afford to have the Kindle, you know, the physical books 
may not be as important because, you know, you get to seventh or eighth grade and reading's not as important. So, you know, the boys will read on their phone or something like that. Um, I think they're just as important. And, you know, as of today, we have 20 outstanding requests for over 7,000 children. Um, you know, and these kids, these most of these requests are for, I would say maybe three quarters of them are for people that we've been working with. You know, so these are kids who, who want the books. And I think sometimes kids just don't think about it. And when they see books come into their school and they're told they can take some home, you know, they get excited. They do get excited. And that's the feedback that we get from the teachers and the community providers who can give these books to the kids. And I think it, I think it's like Christmas Day. I remember when we used to get those little brochures, the highlights, I think they were called. I'm trying to remember what it was called, the one that you would get and you'd order the books. And yes. when the book when the books would come in, you would feel like it was like, you know, a Christmas because it was, you know, you brought your books home and it was exciting to turn the, you know, open the cover and read the book. And I hope that feeling never goes away, no matter how much we get, you know, connected and more connected to electronics. I That piece, I hope, always stays with us. Yeah. And the thing that's sad is, you know, like it's the Scholastic today. Scholastic is still out of a lot of people's price range. And so, you know, that's what we talk about is we try, you know, many times we'll suggest to schools, it's like we try to get as close to like a book fair type selection, or, you know, we try to make our, our selections as close to what you would see when you walked into Barnes and Nobles. I mean, because there are communities where there's no bookstore, you know, the library is probably closed down. If it's open, you know, parents can't get to it. Um, you know, there yeah. are a lot of things that kids just don't get the, that you and I have experienced that kids just, and my own kids, our kids are experiencing that they just don't, there are kids who don't experience that. I absolutely uh, agree with you hundred percent. They're just not, you know, there's not as privileged as, as some of the others and, and, and we get that. And that's why you're here to help them and connect them. How do people help your organization? Well, that's, that's been the ongoing challenge of our story. You know, for years, it's, it's always been um, people hear our mission and they say, I have books to donate. And then they move on to the next nonprofit. Um, and, and we're so grateful for books because we always need books that like that's our, our bread and butter. Um, but right now, you know, we need that for the past two years, we've been operating out of storage units and to, you know, get, you know, books out for six, for 7,000 kids, like that's a challenge to get it out of a storage unit. Um, so we've been looking for space. We've been looking to rent. Um, you know, I just don't know that there's a taste to donate space. Um, but, you know, it's, it's that age old, uh, you know, nobody wants to talk about operational funding. And, you know, nobody really gets that you can't do the program if you don't have a place to operate out of. And it's pretty challenging to operate full time out of storage unit. Um, but we're doing it. And because the need is there and the gratitude is there and, you know, we're doing new programs and things like that. Um, but we've got lots of neat programs that we're doing. Uh, we implemented something called the Book Arc, um, which during COVID, I went up to Jersey City with a, another partner and we did a, a book distribution in a housing development. And so 
one of the families had said, we have books to donate for you, but you know, for them to have 10 or 15 books, it doesn't make any sense for them to drive all the way down to Monmouth County. And that got me thinking about, you know, additional book distribution streams. And uh, there's a, a nonprofit in Camden that created something called the book, a book arc, which is basically a giant version of a little free library. So we've developed a partnership and we're trying to get those built and out into the community because it's really an opportunity for a community to take ownership of, you know, circulating books and getting books out. Um, you know, so that's a neat program for people to get involved in. Um, you know, we, we do want to get the volunteers in. It's it, again, it's challenging to have volunteers in a storage unit, but we'll, you know, if you're willing, we'll try and make it work. Um, and we just, we need your support. Yeah. Financially, you know, yeah. and I, I know it's, I know it's hard. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a CEO of a not-for-profit. We don't have a space. We've been working with, it's the same, the smaller it's nonprofits, insane. there's, there's none of this, you know, they don't, the operating budgets and they want, they want you to be at a certain level in order to ask for a certain amount of funding. But the problem is you can't get, it's this chicken and egg yeah. situation that consistently yeah. goes round and round. Yes. And, and passionate people trying to make a difference in the world, you yes, know, and you know. yes. And so if, you know, great, if you could do books, you know, but I also want to say that if you can follow Bridge of Books and you're on Instagram. Yes, we are. And Facebook. We're on Instagram and Facebook and I go in and out of Twitter. Um, Same. And LinkedIn as well. I also, I sort of go in and out of LinkedIn as well, too. Um, but yes, we're on all of those. And then what is your website, Abby? It's uh, www.bridgeofbooksfoundation.org. So what I'm going to say is books are great, right? But at the end yes. of the day, the more that people can help financially with any dollar amount, the larger, of course, is always the better and is more appreciated. When we're trying to move books, you're trying to, to get kids to, to read, to understand the fundamental joy of holding a book in their hand. And you can't do that all for the next 15 years out of a storage unit. It makes perfect sense. Um, and something that's interesting about Bridget Books is, you know, we're very driven by what our request, by the needs of our community. Um, so, for example, for several years, we had a ninth grade teacher from Ocean County who would request books for his for this incoming class some of whom were on as low as the second grade reading level. So literally I can remember handpicking, you know, a donation of 400 books that were high interest, but low enough level reading. Cause you know, a high schooler is not gonna pick up C-spot run though that may be on his level of reading. So, you know, we take a lot of care in looking for those books that will hopefully get that child to, you know, be interested and take up a book and look at it. And, you know, if somebody we've had, um, you know, we do Spanish and bilingual books. And I don't know if you saw last year, and it's still going on, there was a, a big uh, hurrah about banning books. And um, it, it really, it really jumped out to the front of the news at the beginning of last year when a school in down south banned um, mouse right around the Holocaust Remembrance Day. 
So we, we really jumped right into that space and we purchased 150 of those books, which you couldn't find anywhere to get them into the hands of kids in New Jersey. Um, you know, we, we strongly believe in, you know, maintaining access and you can't erase stories and you can't remove the stories that kids most need access to. And just because a story is hard doesn't mean that a child shouldn't have access to it at an appropriate age and understanding, of course. Um, you know, so we get into a lot of care and we do a lot of, um, we think about our communities and we, you know, we're looking to build a laundromat literacy program uh, in Keensburg. Uh, we do volunteer reading at certain times of the, de- of the year. Um, just we're unique. Um, in terms of what we try to do with the community mm-hmm. and with our requesters. And it's awesome. It's wonderful what you're doing. And any long-term plans that you can share or are you, is it just full steam ahead of where you are right now? Uh, it's full steam ahead. Um, I do have this sort of grander vision, but I'm kind of keeping it, you know, that I, I think I would like to roll Bridge of Books into um, to create a space of permanency for Bridge of Books, but I need to get Bridge of Books out of a storage unit first before I can start going after that next piece. Um, but it's pretty exciting, and I think it could be pretty exciting for you know everybody across New Jersey. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I truly do believe in, in more nonprofits working together, you know, yeah. um, you know, and because we don't all compete. It's actually we all actually complement in certain ways yes. on each other and provide yeah. different and unique services. So the more yeah. nonprofits can do that um, is something that I'm a big believer in myself. And uh, I'm hoping we even may be able to do that down the road as well through through our two organizations. I think that would be great. You know, it, it's, you know, if you coming together as a community, you know, in theory, hopefully should produce better outcomes more quickly and help, you know, families who need it overcome those challenges more quickly than if, you know, we all go in on our own. You know, that's why, you know, we say we will go anywhere and everywhere we can to find kids who need books. You know, we've wormed our way into food pantries, you know. Uh, we've wormed our way into the state prisons, um, you know, because kids whose parents go to prison don't stop being parents. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other tangential benefits to that. Um, you know, we worm, we worm our way into a lot of places to try and get books into the hands of kids because it, it's an easy ad. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful ad for sure. Is there anything else about budget books that you feel like the listeners should know about? Um, I don't, it's just, it's books. Like, you know, it's the magic of what are the first books that you really remember? What are the books that have resonated with you? Whether, you know, they were kind of the illicit ones that you read under the covers when you were a teenager or, you know, the little ones that you remember reading with your kids and, you know, the look on a face when, when children say to you, you know, now, now I own five books. Um, you know, it, it's meaningful, like it's meaningful. And even, uh, you know, even high school kids who will say to you, I never thought I would own this book. Um, you know, it's just, 
for all the lives that we've touched, there's so many more kids out there who need books. And, you know, it's an investment in our future, you know, bringing this magic and the world and the joy of reading to children who are growing up, it's, you know, it's giving them joy that they deserve, but it's also an investment in our future because these kids are coming up behind us and they're tomorrow's workforce. Without, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, so again, go to Bridge of Books and, and take a look on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, website. Again, the website one more time, Abby. Uh, bridgeofbooksfoundation.org. Pretty simple. Very simple. Very simple. I'm going to ask you the last question I ask everybody this year. Every year I, I ask all of my guests the same last question. What is a lesson you have learned along the way that you could share with a young or seasoned change maker? Hmm. Um, I would say never be afraid to ask a question because not asking that question means that you'll never know what you might have gained. Or, you know, and if you if you don't get what you want, then nothing lost, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Power of being inquisitive, right? Yes. Oh, and then the other one that my father, <laughs> this is from my father, never let him see you sweat. <laughs> I love that. That's so true, though. Be brave and never let him see you sweat. Because oh, yeah. if it's worth it, you just got to go for it. A hundred percent. I love that. That's sorry. That's that perfect. was like four things. You can say as many as you want. I I don't mind whatsoever. I I, I love it. I, I think that the goal is is to, you know we have young change makers. You know those who are what I call seasoned change makers who listen from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And you know I think it's it's wonderful to share with them some lessons learned as they're going through their own journey. Absolutely, absolutely. You know and. This this is a big year for us. So I'm 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 trying to do a lot of self-reflection myself because uh, it's 20 years that we've been doing this. And right. you know, and then it's just it's amazing. It's kind of amazing to me. And you know, the need is still there. And as I said, we're still meeting new people. And you know, there are seven thousand children who've requested books, and that's at least, you know probably 15 to 18,000 books that we need to get out. And they're looking for them by the beginning of March. Do you have the books? Um, we, we do. We, okay. uh, we pretty much do. Um, okay. I can get them quickly. Like we're having to fend off a lot of people and people are being very understanding about holding on to the books and waiting until we have the room. Um, Cause you know, out, out they go and in come more. Absolutely. But helping with the transportation and helping with the funding, everybody, that's what Abby needs. Funding, funding, funding. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you. Thank you for sharing your beautiful story. And congratulations on 20 years. You know, I can't even still fathom it's 2023. My brain is still not wrapped around it. Yes. It's crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely. But 20 years, that's that's incredible. What a milestone. We're only five years as the Applauder Kids Foundation. So 20 years, that's kudos to you. That's amazing. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. So everybody, again, follow Bridge of Books. Abby Daly, thank you for being a guest. I really appreciate your time. Take care, Jody. 
You too. I'm, before you go, I'm going to say what I say at the end of every single podcast. Today is the day. You cannot go back to yesterday and you do not yet own tomorrow. So what steps, small or large, are you going to take today to get yourself closer to your goals? Have a fabulous week, everyone.